Words have energy and power with the ability to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. Most of all, to help us embrace the void. you to exist anywhere. I want everyone corrupt. Leaves from the vine falling so slow. Sometimes, Master, it is difficult for meatbags to step back and gain some perspective on death and its importance in their insignificant lives. I don't know if I'm up for this. I'm so emotional. I can barely think straight. Great. Use that. Embrace the void. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 187 of Embrace the Void, where we've declared it a Void Boy Summer. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we've come to the culture war-heavy portion of our conversation. I want to give a content warning here. Slurs are mentioned in this episode. So, let's further prove that it is possible to talk about this stuff and not get cancelled. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... Something. My continued guest this week is Angel Eduardo, a writer, musician, photographer, and designer in New York City who's been published in Arrow, CFI, and Newsweek. Angel, would you once again like to say hi to the void? Hello, void. <laughs> I know it's weird after we've been chatting, but we're gonna we're doing a part two and we're doing it all together. But um, I I wanted to yeah, give yeah. the illusion that we have reconvened in some sort of way hello darkness my old friend <laughs> there you go exactly <laughs> so great all right so we talked about some some of your articles in the first episode and now i want to talk about the ones that i probably disagree more with so i I've, i tried to okay. front load as much agreement as i could because i think that's valuable yeah. um and so the first one i want to talk about <laughs> is yeah. words don't hurt ideas do Right. This is an article where it seems to me that you argue that words only have the power that we give them. Um, now, I think while while this yes. may seem true, again, in a kind of trivial sort of sense, I feel like in practice, it seems that many words do already have power invested in them by history and previous usage uh, in ways that you and I can't simply wipe away. And I'm curious you know, would you agree that certain words carry that sort of power and that we should take that seriously in the modern world? Yes. But we should recognize that it's us doing that and it's not the word having some kind of magic power. We've infused it with that power and we can also uninfuse it if we want to. And we often do. Um, so the word in question is one where we absolutely do that. So I think, you know, Are you refer you're referring to the N word, right? Yeah, I don't use that phrase. Personally, I find it irritating. 
but yes. <laughs> I, I will. I am not going to be using that word. Oh, no, and, and I'm in not. My life, yeah, but, I'm not. I'm and, not and, telling you to do it because one thing that that I should say is I don't. I don't use that word often. I mean, I don't mind saying it when I'm quoting someone or quoting something or referring to it. Um, but I don't use it in my general day to day because it's just not how I generally speak. I, I didn't grow up with, you know, hip hop culture being a thing for me. But it was it was it was for everyone around me, and um, it's just not how I speak generally. And you know, most of the time, I avoid it because it's not worth having that conversation with everybody all the time. Like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> you know, it's just not worth the grief. So I avoid it for for those reasons, but not because I believe there's anything inherently wrong with those syllables in that order. Well, I don't I don't think there's anyone really oh, like maybe this tiny portion of the world but like the vast majority of people who have a problem with this word don't like have some metaphysical mystical view about the the arrangement of those letters or those syllables right they uh -huh. they think it's bad because it carries with it all of that historic meaning that we were talking about um so i mean yeah. It seems I feel a little bit like when you when you argue against the like this is a not a magic word situation. It's just us doing it. That's a little bit sort of straw manning mm -hmm. like the opposition, which is not you know claiming words are inherently powerful. It's claiming that not only does this word has this word been invested with power, it's invested in a degree and in a way that like me as an individual, I can't change, right? Maybe a whole cultural movement mm -hmm. of reclaiming the word by people who have, you know, in my opinion, the freedom to use that word in a way that I don't could over time change the meaning of that word to some extent. But it's not like you and I here right now can just decide that that word doesn't mean what it means and doesn't have the, the the harm and force attached to it that it does. It seems to me, would you agree? Mm -hmm. You do? Yeah. You know, no, I think uh -huh. that's right. Uh, but I do think that, uh, I don't think that people really believe that it's a magic word, right? Like, I don't think that, you know, I don't think anybody believes that if you write that word down on a piece of paper and just let the piece of paper sit on a table, that in two days, the paper will have disintegrated because, you know, it's some mm -hmm. magical sigil, right? I, I don't think that that's what people think, but I think that that's how people behave. I think they act like that's the case, and how there so? are a bunch of different there are a bunch of different ways. I mean, um, in the piece itself, I get to I use the point of Greg Patton, the USC professor who was talking about filler words in his class, and he referred to the word nega, the Chinese word, which is kind of like a hedge, like an um or a, uh, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And it's phonetically similar to the word that nobody likes. Mm -hmm. And he was treated as though he said it. And he was he was treated as though he said the slur, right? Uh, and the response was as though he said it, even though everyone in the room knew exactly what he was saying, why he was saying it, and they knew exactly what he wasn't saying. But just because he's a white dude and he said those syllables in that order and it sounded close enough, people were claiming um, that the same amount of pain, that the same amount of um, negativity was coming from it, despite knowing the context and despite knowing the intention of the person, despite knowing that it's a totally different language, has nothing to do with the word itself. So that's an example for me of how people are behaving as though the word has magic powers. And that even if you 
accidentally conjure it, um, the the results are the same. So that's the problem. Yeah, I guess I, I, I struggle with this example. It seems to me like, I mean, A, I don't think that he should have faced repercussions for explaining the word in the way that he did. I think the people who had that reaction are are making a mistake in pushing it in the way that they did. Um, but I also mm -hmm. don't think that they are making the kind of argument that it seems like you are claiming that they are making. I don't think they're saying, you know, the mere uttering of those symbols in this kind of way is, you know, fundamentally bad or something like that. I think what they're saying is people heard it. And, and my understanding was that some people misheard him and thought that he was saying it, but I, I guess even stipulating, right. That like everybody understood the context. I think it's sort of a situation where they're still claiming you know, having a, having a, having a word that's associated with these kinds of meanings still evokes a negative response in those individuals. So it still feels like they're, I don't think they are making yeah. the more extreme kind of view mm -hmm. that you were sort of positing there earlier. Is that, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Well, that's the problem. The problem is that I don't want to believe that they're making that argument. And I don't think that they're necessarily consciously making it, but I think that they are in effect making it because of the way that they responded and the way that they chose to um, treat uh, Greg Patton after the fact, right? So if they weren't paying attention and they just heard it, they heard those syllables, it sounded very much like the word and they reacted to it, mm -hmm. that's one thing, right? But what they do after that is what indicates to me a certain line of thinking that doesn't make any sense. Um, and also, I mean, that specific scenario was even worse because there was a lot of dishonesty going around. I mean, some people were claiming that Patton knew he was going to do it and that he was delighting in the fact that he was going to get away with saying something that kind of sounded like it. And so he even um, stopped recording the video right before he said it and then resumed recording right after which mm -hmm. turned out to be absolutely not true because we all saw the video of him saying it. So he didn't, he definitely didn't do that. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, that's the thing is it's, I, I, I totally understand. So, you know, I'll set aside suspicions of, you know, performativity on the part mm -hmm. of the people claiming to be hurt. Right. I think there's some of that going on, but even if, I think it's I think it's totally reasonable to give people the benefit of the doubt and say, look, I know that the history of that word, um, all the all the context around that word, all the stuff that it conjures up, all that stuff is real. Um, you are you are absolutely right for that word to bother you if it bothers you. It's it's totally fine. It's understandable. Um, it's fine if if hearing that word upsets you deeply. Right. That's totally fine. It's what you do after that can or cannot be an issue for me personally. So I know that people feel strongly about it. And when they hear it, they don't like it. It's fine. But then what you do, when, how you react to Greg Patton saying it, you react in a way to, you know, we're going to get this guy in trouble for doing this. Even though we know what he meant, what he didn't mean, how he said it, when he said it, where he said it, why. We know all of these things, but we're still going to behave as though he committed this crime. And even if they're not consciously doing so, they are behaving in such a way 
as to indicate that they think a white person saying these syllables in that order equals bad no matter what. And we have other, we have other, unfortunately, we have other examples now of, you know, uh, the law professor who um, was using, using an example in a test about someone calling someone else a slur. And he, he didn't write the slur out. He wrote, you know, N asterisk, 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 and B asterisk, 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 you know, and Mm -hmm. he got in trouble for that. So he didn't, not only did he not invoke the word, he didn't even say it. He just, it's, it's a letter followed by a series of asterisks on a piece of paper. That was enough to get him, you know, in to the point where I know who he is. Right. And the use mentioned distinction, right? We have people wanting to redact the word from Huckleberry Finn. We have, you know, th- this behavior to me indicates that if they don't believe it, they're acting as though this is a magic word and we need to treat it as though it's Voldemort and we can't, you know, I mean, it's nonsensical to me. Um, I personally think it's infantilizing and I, uh, it doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. So, so I guess, so that's the I, I guess, yeah, my concern here is, I think, I mean, I, I'm sympathetic to the use mention concern. I think that people do sort of ignore use mention distinctions in some situations. And I'm sympathetic to some extent that there is, you know, a a group of people who are interested in jumping on stories like this to try to get people in trouble. I don't think that that, you know, we'll talk about your, your cancel right. culture article here in a second. So I don't want to um, jump ahead too much there, but I'm not, I'm not totally unsympathetic to some of that reality. At the same time, I feel like these are largely edge cases and kind of, um, I mean, like, so, so for example, you know, this, this case of this professor who's not even using the word doesn't seem to me to be really indicative of the vast majority of situations that people are concerned about where people are using this actual word, right? And so I think it's we have to be very careful mm. inferring a lot from this very weird case that got picked up because of cultural factors mm-hmm. or something like that as opposed to like the many many cases where it's just transparently wrong it seems to me to be using the word and the way that people are using it right like isn't this a little bit sort mm-hmm. of focusing in on a hedge case and, and like ignoring that there are the vast majority of cases continue to be ones where you just genuinely shouldn't use the word unfortunately i don't think so um, because the impetus for me writing this piece wasn't the Greg Patton uh, incident, and it wasn't any of the other ones um, that came later. Uh, I used the Greg Patton incident as a way to illustrate my point about, you know, he didn't even say the word. He just said something that sounded like it, and this was the reaction. My My motivation for writing this piece was actually that I'm sick of having this conversation back and forth with people all the time. Like every day, day to day with people in person, with, with people online, it's, it's constant. So Why unfortunately, I don't so think it's, <laughs> I well, mean, like because, it's, not a, it's not a topic that comes up for me that often. I'm just curious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not like I, I, I run in circles that, you know, with a bunch of racist people who love using the word and they're trying to preserve that. Right. I don't know anybody like that. I know people who use that word in the hip hop context. I know people who use that word in the comedic context where, you know, they're quoting Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock or something. 
or, Mm -hmm. you know, just like as a, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in New York city, I'm Dominican, you know, I know a lot of people who are, who are immersed in hip hop culture and it's, it's part of the lexicon. It's the way people say bro, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so there's, there's that. Right. And I recognize that context for it. And, and, but they're not arguing with, with you about the use of it, right? They're not the ones you're getting into the arguments with, um, are they? Sometimes, it, because they, they do the thing where they say, no, a white person can never say it. And I'm like, well, why? I mean, <laughs> it depends what they're saying, doesn't it? I mean, is Mark Twain automatically racist? Because so, so if he, they corrected it to a white word, person I mean, can never use it, right? They, not a white person can never mention it, but a white person cannot use it on another person. Then do you agree well, with I don't the think, claim? Yeah, but I, I don't think that even that even is exclusive to white people, right? I don't think anybody should be mean to people in that way. I don't think people but if should I be use hurling that slurs word, at each other in that way. Okay, so I mean, so you would be against even black people using it in a friendly way towards other black people then? No, no. I think it depends on the context, right? That, that's the point. The problem is that when someone is hurling a slur at you, and their intention is to use it as a slur and to hurt your feelings. That's the part that matters, right? If they decide to call you, you know, a bucket instead, the, the, what they're doing is still the same thing, right? And we're, there's, a, there's a kind of illusion that we're falling into when we think that the word itself is the thing that is causing the harm, when really it's, it's, it's the fact that someone is trying to hurt you with it. And yes, there is baggage because people have been using the word and, you know, there's, there's the whole euphemism treadmill thing, but right. if I call you a bucket, but, that's not going to have the same impact, right? No, but in 20 years it might. Right. And, and that's the thing that I think maybe. people lose sight of. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, but like right now it doesn't of... right, right now they mean very different things. And like, it would go very poorly if I called someone the N word instead of bucket. Right. Of course. Like... Yeah, of course. Of course. So yeah, that's context, right? Like we recognize mm-hmm. context. But, but again, like someone reading Huckleberry Finn out loud or someone quoting Jay-Z, that's a very different context. That's not someone hurling a slur at you with any kind of intent to harm. They're just singing along with a song or they're okay. just reading a book. So, so I, I think, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I just think, I just think that it's, it's infantile to pretend we don't know the difference and it's infantilizing for other people to act like there is no difference and there cannot be a difference and that we need to pretend this word has magic powers when it doesn't. All right. So I mean, I'm for preserving the use mention distinction now. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about just mentions, right? I think, I don't think there's any times in which anyone should be like anyone like me should be using the N word. Other people in other groups can use it with each other in their own ways. Um, But but let's talk about just mention cases, right? So you mentioned the N-word, I think, like four times in the meritocracy article. Um, and, and you do actually write it out rather than doing the asterisk, asterisk, asterisk thing. Um, and I'm, I'm sort oh, of not, curious. Oh, not the meritocracy article. No, no. You mean in the, the words article, right? In the words article. <laughs> oh, if I said the meritocracy, I apologize. I meant the, the words on heard article, right? So you used yeah, it. Yeah. Use it four times in this article, right? And and again, you're you're mentioning it, mm-hmm. right? I, I I say use, but like really, we should say you're mentioning it four times in the article. Um, it seems to me when someone mm-hmm. mentions it, I think there should at least be some sort of consideration about what is the value that is gained from mentioning it, right? Like, 
if you're going to mention it in a story or if you're going to mention it in an article, does it benefit the reader or, or bring your point home more in some important kind of way? And if it doesn't, then I think there is value to just avoiding using it in that kind or mentioning it even in that kind of way. Like not because I don't think there's no mention use distinction, mm -hmm. but because you know, the same way, the same reason that I don't drop F-bombs in the middle of my articles, sure, it would punch them up a little bit, but like, it's not what I'm trying to sort of get across <laughs> with the material. And I, I'm curious, when you used it in your, when you mentioned it in your article, right, were you doing that to consciously make a point? Were you doing it and you weren't trying to make a point at all? And what do you think that do you agree with me that there should be a kind of value judgment in terms of does this increase the value of the point I'm making or the the information I'm conveying or the art that I'm presenting or whatever? Uh, yeah, I think that it's kind of what I mentioned before, like the way that I, I don't use the word. I'm unlikely to use it unless I'm referring to it or quoting someone just because mm -hmm. it's not part of my lexicon, but also because you know, you want to be considerate. I don't, I'm not out to upset people, right? That's not what I'm about. It's not, I'm not trying to be um, incendiary and I'm not trying to irritate and annoy people. I know that people feel a certain way about that word. I understand that. And I'm, I'm totally fine with, you know, avoiding it for their sake, right? It's not like, it's not like I have this burning desire to say it anyway. It's not like, you know, it, it inconveniences me in any kind of way, right? But I also, I'm also just not going to play into this idea that the word itself has some kind of evil, you know, corrosive quality to it inherently. It doesn't. So if I'm, if I'm, if I need to say the word to, in order to refer to it, if I need to say the word because I'm quoting something, I have no compunction about that. Right. And if mm -hmm. someone gets upset about that, then we'll have the conversation, I guess. But but yeah, so there's that. I mean, yes, be considerate. Like, you know, if you're just out to upset people, that's another thing. The reason mm -hmm. I use it in the piece is, well, number one, if I can make my argument with that word, then all the other taboo words kind of fall underneath it, right? That's the granddaddy of words you shouldn't say, right? So mm -hmm. so it was that. that. That was one reason. But also, I mean, if I were to redact it in some way, if I were to just put asterisks or blanket out or something that would be undercutting my point in the article hmm. because the whole point is look this is a word and the context is what matters how someone is using it why they're using it that's what matters and everyone already recognizes this because there are contexts where everyone finds it totally acceptable and other contexts where they don't and it's just a disagreement about which contexts are acceptable and which aren't there's a certain cohort of people who want to increase the number of contexts where it's unacceptable. And I personally think not necessarily that I want to increase the number of contexts where it is acceptable, but I just think we should be sensible about what those contexts are. If someone is using the word to be hateful, honestly, now this is just my personal thing. If someone is trying to hurt my feelings, that's the thing that hurts my feelings. What they say is almost completely irrelevant to me. So you know, I brought this up when I spoke to Rod Graham on his channel about free speech and we were talking about this, right? If, if, if my father said, you know, I wish you weren't my son, that, that is a very painful thing to say, right? That's a terrible thing for your father to tell you. 
And it would hurt me deeply because of what he's intending to communicate with that phrase. Now, if I were, if I had a magic wand and I got rid of those words, you are not my son. If I just got rid of those, eliminated them from the lexicon, that wouldn't have changed a thing, right? And we rewind the tape. Those words don't exist. We're having the same encounter and he's going to say it some other way. The thing that matters is that the what he's communicating, what he's trying to do is hurt my feelings with this idea. And that's the distinction I'm trying to make in that piece is that we're focusing on the messenger and not the message. And we pretend that the messenger is the message and it isn't. But they're not they're not separable. They're not wholly separable either, I think, in the way that it feels like your hypothetical is suggesting that like if instead he said, Would you like some chocolate chip cookies? Right, maybe he could convey a so like you know, I'm saying this because you're <laughs> no, not really no. my son, but like it's not gonna read the same no. way. Like the 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 of content course. and the words are connected at least to some extent. And like, yes, in theory, with enough cultural practice, we could disentangle them, but it's not like, so, I mean, you mentioned in there when well, you were talking about we that, have done that. Right. To some extent, though, I would still argue that like the reclaiming of the N word has not been like fully successful in the sense that it is still the N word. Um, no, no, <laughs> but, but of like, course not. Of course not. I'm not claiming that, that we have, but, but you got but, close there to talking. The, the a only bit point about, is just that we already Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, but we already recognize that uh, we already recognize that in different contexts, the word can be acceptable or not. Right. One context is Kendrick Lamar. Totally acceptable to most people. There are still there's still a cohort of people who think even he shouldn't say it because the word is so poisonous just inherently. Right. But Mm -hmm. generally speaking, we we think black people are free to use it the way that they choose to use it. Depending on who you're talking to, even I'm allowed to use it because Dominicans kind of count as black, depending mm-hmm. on who you're asking, right? So I've I've had people tell me both, mm-hmm. um, but and we recognize, you know, yeah, like Alabama dude in a pickup truck, he can't say it, right? We, that's mm-hmm. a context in which we did we've agreed it's it's wrong, right? So we we already recognize that there are multiple contexts, and I think that there's a kind of a, not a concept creep, but there's a kind of creep going on lately where we want to we want to swallow even more contexts and bring them into the unacceptable side and i think that's that's a problem the logic there just doesn't hold for me i i would say the concern i think there is a little overstated and we'll talk about that with the harper letter thing in a second but i want to i want to get on the other sort of major theme of this particular article which is you say towards the end of the article that policing language never works which seems like too strong a claim to me. And I don't know how you feel about it at this point. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to me that like, are, are you, would you really want to argue that like we shouldn't have any cultural taboos around language or that like some cultural taboos around language are valuable, even if yes, in principle, you know, those taboos could be assigned to different phonetic noises if we spend enough time on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of talking about the euphemism treadmill there, where, you know, a word becomes too loaded, we've infused it with too much meaning, and it becomes too sharp, and it, it, it gets to us, so we abandon it, and we replace it with something else, which eventually becomes too loaded, and we have to switch it out with something else again. Um, that mm-hmm. That's happened with many, many words, um, you know, uh, 
retarded is one word where it, you know, it was, it was brought forth as a replacement for another word that had become too overloaded. I think idiot was the word. Um, there might be a, there are a bunch more, but there's, there's a progression, right? And then retarded became a kind of way too heavy word. And now we're, we've switched it over to something else and retarded is considered a slur. Uh, or, or, or one could argue it was always a slur. We've just better understood the way that it was a euphemistic slur that was being used in favor of a less euphemistic slur. Maybe, but I mean, it, it, as far as I understand it, it was a, it was a kind of clinical term. It's like, you know, someone who is mentally retarded is, is, you know, it, right. it gets so, co-opted so was the term Negro for a long time, right? Negro is also a clinical term, but like, sure. I, I think we would argue that it, it would be better not to, for me to go around calling black people Negroes, that would be bad. Well, um, yeah, now, sure. But I mean, Malcolm X is like totally again, saying that's, it that's all the time. Malcolm X, that... <laughs> right? That's, a, that's still Malcolm <laughs> right, right, X, but, but it, right? And, and like you, you see in Lovecraft other Country, people were for saying example, it too, though. Well, but in Lovecraft Country, for mm-hmm. example, there's a bit where some white women are talking to other white women and they use the word Negro and they're like, well, I use the more civil word at least instead of the other word. And so I just, you know, I think the civilizing <laughs> of language, what what you would say is concept creep seems mm-hmm. to me to be greater linguistic equity as we weed out not just the words, but as you would say, the ideas behind the words, which is this particular individual is mentally deficient in such a way where we value them or where, where they are viewed as inferior, as deficient or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, I'm not going to deny that there's yeah. no, on the opposite side of this problem, there's no like, um, you know, people who are making it so that you can't use literally any word in a derogatory sense because they're all associated to some group or something like that. And I'm not saying there isn't a challenge there. Um, I just... I feel like we can recognize that challenge without needing to like slide towards free speech absolutism about the use of these kinds of terms. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm with you. I think, yeah, yeah. I think that it's, it's, yeah, it's totally understandable. I mean, the words do get loaded and they do end up carrying a lot of baggage and there comes a point where interpersonally, culturally, colloquially it, it becomes um reasonable to want to avoid it just mm-hmm. because it makes too much of a mess right and, and it, it may have harm. unintended consequences right. yeah it may have unintended cost consequences people people you know their feelings get hurt and that sort of stuff uh that that's totally fine i think it's just that we should always pay attention to what's actually happening and not fall into this trap of thinking oh we stop using this word therefore the idea goes away like, that's not true. That's the reason why there's a euphemism treadmill, right? The idea carries on. It just, it's a body snatcher. It just grabs a new body. And then we eventually notice, oh, it's a body snatcher again. And we get rid of it. And then mm-hmm. we come up with a new word. It's it's that sort of thing that I think we should just be mindful of the fact that, you know, when someone changed it to mentally retarded, that would, they they had a clinical reason for it. It was, you know, retardation means like slowing down. Um. It, it was a it was a, a way to try to be you know kind and compassionate and remove stigma and then stigma gets attached to it because the idea doesn't really go away and so we should be focusing on that more than the words themselves that's what I think is the mistake that we continue to make 
Yeah, I guess I feel like the words that we use impact the way that we think more than we would like to admit. And so changing the words can be a way to change the way that you think. Um, and so, yes, there may be a bit of a treadmill, but I, I, I would I would say less of a treadmill and more like a Red Queen um, uh, race kind of situation where you you know, you improve the situation and then the problem rises to meet the improvement and you improve more and the problem rises to meet the improvement, et cetera. But you are still, I think, making <laughs> something like progress, right? I still think that like the way people are expected to play the language game now is more ethical than they were allowed to play the language game you know, even 20 years ago, even even when I was growing up or something and like everything in the world was called gay, for example. Like, I think it's good that we have mm -hmm. changed our social norms, at least to some extent here. Um, and this gets into so this gets into the Harper letter stuff. So let's talk about the Harper letter article a bit before we run out of time. Um, you wrote an sure. article called I'm yep. a nobody. The Harper's letter was for me. Um, and you open it with the line, I'm terrified to write this, and that's the problem. Um, I, I want to understand, because I, I guess I would strongly disagree. I don't, I don't see how the Harper's letter is actually of benefit to you, but I want to understand why do you feel like you were terrified to write this article, um, and, and, and what do you think about that terror? I guess it's almost been a year later since you wrote the article. Do you feel like that was a, a sort of justified terror mm -hmm. to have at that time? I definitely think it was, uh, and I think that I'm just fortunate that it uh, that was that the response was overwhelmingly positive, uh, and that the people I was worried about turned out to be very supportive. Um, the reason I was terrified is because I had just gotten this great job. I was doing work that I was really proud of and really happy with, and I felt like it was making a positive impact in the world, right? It was using my skills for the first time. Uh, the things that I'm good at, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a creative person. It, it was the first time that I was getting paid to use those skills. You know, it was a great job. And I felt that I, I felt compelled to say something about what was going on around this culture war stuff. But... I felt that the stakes were really high. I felt that it was possible for, you know, if I said the wrong thing the wrong way, you know, people could start complaining and it could put undue pressure on my employer and not even necessarily that they might let me go. But what I was really worried about was the fact that I was bringing so much heat onto them that I would feel forced to leave to, to, you know, keep them from dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So that, that was the circumstance that I envisioned in my mind was I'm going to say some stupid shit and people are going to get really upset and people might start clamoring to, for, for my employer to get rid of me and they might be supportive. They might say, you know, no, we, th we think he's great. We don't have a problem with what he said or whatever, but that might cause them you know, to lose opportunities that might, that might, that might start to really mess with them. And I would feel then compelled to leave just to spare them the bullshit that I had brought upon them for, you know, through no fault of their own. That was the circumstance that I had in mind. Right. And, and mm -hmm. I lamented that because I really love, I really love my job. So okay. that's the reason why I said mm -hmm. I was terrified, but yeah, um, great. Yeah. 
Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but but I I still felt compelled to to say something because I felt like it was important and the conversations that I was having after the Harper's letter came out really indicated to me that people were missing this critical point that I, that to me was obvious. I mean, the letter is three paragraphs. It seemed really weird to me for people to misinterpret three paragraphs, but they were missing well, that. Well, obviously point. there's a lot of context behind those three paragraphs that you would acknowledge, right? In terms of the signatories of the letter, the context in which the letter was coming out, given previous things that mm -hmm. had happened with some of the signatories of the letter, right? I think we, we this goes back to our discussion of like, you know, you want to star man all the people involved in the letter, but you can't ignore the context of the project that they are engaged in with writing that letter. Um, and maybe, maybe we can talk about that some, but first right. I want to focus on the concern side because, you know, this is something that really worries me is <laughs> there, there feels to me, I do believe that there is something like cancel culture and we can talk about, you know, how I would define that concept, but I also worry that there is a disproportionate fear of cancel culture that is being incited by individuals who want to, for various reasons, escalate this culture war kind of stuff. And I worry that this article is a part, it ends up being a part of that project. Um, so let me sort of explain what I mean a little bit. There's a, there's a, um, in the article you say, right, there are endless examples of cancel culture. And to back that claim up, you link to a thread by Everything Oppresses, uh, which is a Twitter thread that I've seen before, where he, where the individual claims to sort of assemble a giant list of cancel culture examples. And I'm curious, have you spent much time digging through the examples on that list? And what do you think about those examples? I mean, it's been a while since I looked at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you can, you can kind of argue back and forth about specific examples about whether they constitute cancel culture or whatever. Uh, I link to it just to show that this isn't about, you know, JK Rowling. It's about regular people too. Um, there was another article that, uh, Yasha Monk wrote for the Atlantic, I think it was called stop firing the innocent. And that's another one, too, where it's, you know, examples of regular people kind of falling into this trap. Um, I don't like the, the phrase cancel culture. I try not to use it. I know I used it in the piece once. Uh, like, I, I actually used it in the piece once. I, I think I put it in scare quotes mm -hmm. at the beginning. But, um, and I would probably remove it if I, if I were to redo the piece now, just because I don't want to deal with the, the baggage of the term that people bring to it. But. But anyway, um, I think I don't have any problem with the term. Actually, I mean, I don't think it's the best possible term. It's, but like, yeah, it's, so, so I mean, it's annoying. <laughs> so like, I I think there is, you know, I, I, here's here's how I define cancel culture, right? Um, where an individual faces disproportionate punishment because of uh, fear of or you know, like genuine risk of or credible fear of disproportionate moral backlash to something that they have done, right? And I, th I do think mm -hmm. in our media environment, it's hard to ignore that like there are situations where people do experience disproportionate backlash. My concern with the list is, and, and with, with um, uh, Yasha's work as well is that 
I think that these lists end up taking a bunch of different things that are not necessarily cancer culture and lumping them all together to give the impression of there being this unifying narrative in a way that like glosses over the realities of a bunch of those examples. And I think actually undercuts the argument. So like if you dive through the list that, you know, is linked there, the first example a, many of them are linked from very unreliable sources, which I do think matters. And those sources tend to not portray both sides of these stories. They tend to portray them, obviously, in a one-sided kind of light. So like the first example, I think, is from Daily Wire. And it had to, it had to issue a correction because it hadn't accurately reported the story to begin with. And I think if you read the details of the story, it's not clear to me that it's a disproportionate punishment, given that it involved not just a pretty racist act, but then lying about it and like pretending and blaming it on people of color when it was white people who made the decision. There's a lot of things like, and this is so like, you know, I don't expect people to go through that list and figure out every one of those things. It worries me though, mm -hmm. when those lists are casually pointed to as proof that there is a severe problem here. Right. Um, so let me, let me ask this as a question, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Let's, let's assume for the sake of argument that everything on that list was accurate and that like these were all hundred cases of cancel culture or something like that, right? I'm not sure what of anything we can infer from a list like that, right? If I gave you a comparable list, except instead of cancel culture, it was cases of violent crime done by undocumented immigrants, right? I hand you a list of a hundred cases of violent crime done by undocumented immigrants. Do you then think that you would be justified in having massive fear that you were going to be harmed by an undocumented immigrant? Just from looking mm -hmm. at that list? Uh, no, not necessarily. It depends on what, what the list... I mean, yeah, not necessarily, no. I don't think that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But the only reason I pointed to the list in the first place was in response to people who would say this literally doesn't happen at all. Like this is total nonsense. It doesn't happen at all. Um, I think it's been a while since I even looked at it, but in the piece, I think, you know, one, the thing that I'm responding to is that people are saying this so-called cancel culture doesn't even exist, but there are obvious examples. I mean, you know, whether, whether some of them are legitimate or not, there's a long enough list where something is going on. Right. And, and, you know, I didn't want to do this, in the piece because I didn't want to, first of all, I didn't want to do like personal anecdotes, but I'd also, I also, I don't want to bring people into, to a miasma that, that I'm creating. And, you know, I, I'm not, it's not my intention to get people in trouble or anything like that. So, but you know, I, I do know people and this is more than one person. These are, these are multiple occasions and multiple different um, scenarios that I've just been privy to myself. But for just for one example, you know, I know someone who very proudly posted on their social media that they had encountered somebody who was who was saying, quote unquote, racist shit. And that this person screen grabbed it and emailed it to their employer after after digging and finding out who their employer is and saying, you know, let's see what your boss thinks about this. And so there are two things that I that I feel about that. The first thing is. Well, three, actually. The, but the first thing is, so the first thing is that I can't necessarily take this person's word for for it that it was quote unquote racist shit, right? Because 
who knows? They could be right. They could be wrong. They could be misunderstanding. They could be misinterpreting. I don't know. The second thing is that this person was proudly proclaiming this act on social media, which indicates to me that, number one, they're proud of it, but number two, they expect praise for doing this, right? That, to me, shows that there's some kind of thing going on where this is something people do and are encouraging each other to do and are patting each other on the backs to do and incentivizing people to share it. Like, hey, look, I found another one. This is what I did, right? There, there must be something going on to incentivize this behavior because otherwise it would just seem strange. It would just be like, what, are you gloating about trying to get somebody fired because they said something that you didn't like, right? That's the problem here. Um, well, so I, I do think that people could be doing that behavior even if they're not getting much feedback on it. But I think the the question here, I think, for me is not is there this behavior happening ever because I think we have all seen it, but what is the mm-hmm. proportionality of risk? Like, are you, Angel, because you wrote this article, which I would argue is fairly anodyne, right? Are are you genuinely at any risk for being canceled for writing? This? And we can talk about the claims where you get, you know, you get a little controversial in it. But like, generally speaking, I would say mm-hmm. the risk is extremely. So, for example, like in the paper, you say it's dangerous merely to claim that objective reality exists and that communicating effectively when we disagree is valuable, there may be claims in the world that mm-hmm. are dangerous for you to make. I do not think that you are at any risk of being punished for claiming that there is an objective reality and that communicating effectively when we disagree is valuable. Do you, do you really think that there is a high risk of of someone trying to get you fired merely uh, for making those specific claims? I yeah, I think that depending on what we're what's going on, depending on what we're talking about, um. I mean, there are people who vehemently disagree with the star manning thing to get back to that, right? They they say, no, absolutely not. There are some people that just should never be spoken to. They need to be, you know, we need to rid the world of them. They are beneath contempt. And mm-hmm. if you if you espouse talking to them, then you're part of the problem. I've gotten that. I've gotten that level of hospitality. Sure, I get that too when I have these conversations. Yeah, and and I mean, so this is what I mean is is if if I'm saying you know, hey, maybe we should you know, um, I don't know, like I'm fine with hearing Charles Murray talk, right? I'm not going to agree with what he says most likely, right? But I'm totally fine with letting him speak. I'm totally fine with sitting down and having a conversation with him and asking him a bunch of questions. Some people think that that is beyond the pale. I've gotten that. So, you know, maybe it's my personal experience only, and I can't necessarily scale that to the level of this is a societal problem, but I'm not the only one saying this stuff. And I don't think that I'm the only one saying this stuff honestly. You know, sure, there are people whose bread and butter is now, you know, anti-cancel culture, anti-woke, blah, blah, blah. I'm not one of those people. I, I really am not interested in in that sort of you know, even grift is a grift now, like using the word grift is a grift, but I'm not interested in that. Right. I I care about having conversations. I care about exchanging ideas. I care about hearing people out. I think that we there, I think that there is a climate of, of censoriousness that is encouraged. And I find it personally frightening. Um, 
probably mostly because I've always been that square peg. I've always been the guy to go, well, hold on a second. Let me, let me hear this or let me read this. Let me, let me figure it out. Let me see what's going on. I'm not just going to take your word for it, that this is bad. And there are people who, who are, you know, kind of one of the people that I mentioned earlier are these people who are saying, no, this is you. If you even speak to them, you are part of the problem. And I just, I worry about that. Yeah. So, I mean, here's my thing. I get those people when I have conversations with Bo, who's on the list of people who were canceled on there, Mm -hmm. right? I get pushback that I shouldn't be having these kinds of conversations, but I don't feel that I'm at any serious risk of being canceled or having anybody going after my job. And I, if anything, should be at greater risk than someone than you being, you know, a highly privileged cis white all the things male guy kind of (laughs) person. And I just don't, I don't think Mm -hmm. that I'm even remotely at risk of anything like that. Um, And I, it just, so, so this goes back to this, you know, why I asked about the everything's oppressed thing. I think you're right that we, you know, just like with the immigrant example, you need bigger data, right? You need more data to tell you, you know, do these hundred cases reflect anything broader or are they sort of pulled together? You also mentioned, um, that like you can't take people's word for it in these other situations. This is a big problem with my list, with this list here too for me. A large number of them involve taking these people at their word because there isn't the counter argument. You don't sure. get the the uh, you know employer's mm-hmm. side of things or something like that in a lot of these cases. So you know, I just worry that people get in this place where anytime somebody claims that they have been canceled, um, people will just assume that they are you know, like speaking in good faith in this kind of way and are not sort of misrepresenting the situation at all. So I I guess, you know, I I feel like if you're gonna, I'm with you there. Okay. So it just seems like I I worry that they're not, we're not giving the benefit of the doubt quite consistently in these sorts Mm -hmm. of situations. Um, But like, let's talk about some of the content in the article that like, in theory, could put you at risk of being canceled, though I will remind my audience not to cancel any of the people I have on my show, right? You say, for example, (laughs) you are compassionate towards trans people, which was likely the topic Mm -hmm. that motivated the Harper letter, I think we know, Um, but Mm -hmm. that you cannot deny your understanding of the science behind biological sex. So I'm just curious, can you just sort of unpack right. for me a bit what you mean about your understanding of the science behind biological sex and why you feel like your views about biological sex put you at risk of being canceled? If you feel comfortable talking about that. <laughs> well, yeah. So like I said, um, I I feel for trans people. I believe they should have every right to live as they wish. Um, I, I respect their right to live as they wish. I want them to. If that's what's going to make them happy, they should do it. I'm for that. I'm for giving them all the rights that they deserve as human beings because they're human beings. Um, but I, I just, you know, I recognize based on what I know about biology, what I know about science, as far as I recognize it, that there is a difference between a woman and a trans woman. They're not exactly the same. Um, there are important distinctions to be made and there are consequences to those important distinctions. So, you know, like for example, in sports, if you're talking about that, there's, there's a big difference there, you know, like there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. And again, it's not like I'm, I'm, 
I don't hate anyone. I'm not trying to exclude anyone from living their life the way that they want to live it. But there are things that need to be taken into account that make that a more complicated thing than simply just saying, yes, you can do whatever you like. It's not, it's not that simple. Unfortunately, there are, there are things where, th- where it gets a little bit complicated. If we, if we set aside sports for a second, because I think sports is a special case mm-hmm. in a big way. Do you think that women, that, that, that cis women and trans women should be treated the same everywhere else in society? Um, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert at all. So, you know, mm-hmm. this is just me speaking mm-hmm. as myself. So, you know, please don't think that I'm, I'm suddenly at a podium making policy proposals or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're well, human no, beings. I just, I'm they, just, yeah. They deserve, they deserve all the, all the rights and dignity that any other human being deserves because they're human beings. And, you know, we should, we should be compassionate. We should try to accommodate them. And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, we should be as kind and compassionate as we possibly can. Um, I just see that there are certain points where it seems that the request is not just to be kind and compassionate and accepting, but also to kind of skew reality in order to accommodate certain, just certain ideas about trans versus whatever. Um, And that's where I'm going to go. Well, hold on a second. I mean, it's not necessarily, like, we don't necessarily have to say there's literally no difference between women and trans women in order for you to be treated the way you deserve to be treated, which is with just as much dignity as any other human being. But there seems to be a problem there. There seems to be that just saying that creates a firestorm, depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, I think the concern would be that there will be people who will make take those differences and use them to justify treating these individuals differently in different kinds of ways now as you've laid it out there it sounds to me like it's not an actually controversial view like i don't Mm -hmm. think especially if you're like well if we put aside sports i think they should be treated the same in every other way and i just have some questions about biology and sports i don't think that is an extreme position i've had on people who've talked about this medicine maybe well Right. But again, I think you would argue that they should receive all the same medical rights. It just might matter for their doctors in terms of how they treat them differently, which, you know, one of them is going to need, you know, yeah. hormone, or, or, or one of them might benefit from hormone replacement in a different way or things like that. Right. But like, so, yeah. so the reason I point this out is because like Matt Iglesias on Twitter has I don't know if he still does it, but for a while would like every once in a while tweet out there are biological differences between men and women. That was the whole tweet, right? Mm-hmm. And his point was yeah. he can yeah. say that and not get canceled. It's not actually the case that if you say there are biological differences in this way, that you immediately get mobbed and canceled in this kind of way. I I think and mm-hmm. so I just worry that you have been given uh, an, an overstated impression of the risk that you are living under. And I worry about that because I, I worry that it makes people very anxious, that there are a lot of people running around in the world much more afraid that they are about to be canceled than that they actually are. And part of it is because there are people out mm-hmm. here doing this cancel cosplay where they like 
act like they have been canceled whenever <laughs> they, you know, receive any kind of pushback. Um, and and then like all of this, all of this kind of, you know, KFAB um, undercuts our ability to actually talk about what I do think are real problems around the scale of punishment that can rarely, but does fall on random people who just made a very bad mistake and it went very public. Are you, do you mm-hmm. feel like you're sympathetic at least to that yeah. to some extent? Oh yeah, sure. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I also wrote, I also wrote that piece um, during a very, very intense time. You know, it was, you know, the, the George Floyd protests were happening there was a lot of mayhem. There was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of, you know, and I, I just, I felt like the conversation was going haywire and not just in one direction, just all directions. Right. So I'm, I'm with you about the, what'd you call it? Cancel cosplay. Yeah. I'm totally with you about mm-hmm. that. I'm totally with you about people exaggerating things. I'm totally with you about the polarization. I'm totally with you about dishonesty. Uh, and the fact that all of this makes it more difficult to have the conversations we need to have. Um, that's part of the problem. So part of the problem that I see is just that this stuff gets in the way. Right. And I do think it's a real thing. I do think that it happens. It happens often enough for someone like me who wants to, con- who wants to contribute to the public conversation to have some reservations, to have a little bit of like, Oh, I don't know about this. Um, even if it's not, you know, the minute I speak, I'm going to, you know, someone's just going to show up and try to ruin my life. I'm glad that nobody has, I'm, you know, th- that was not a challenge. That was not a, you know, come get me sort of thing. Please don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I'm trying to do my best here. Um, let's all just try to be more compassionate and understanding of each other. Um, that's kind of what I was calling for. And, uh, about the, you know, the Harper's letter itself, it's funny because you said that my piece was fairly anodyne. I thought the Harper's letter was fairly anodyne. Uh, that was a word that got thrown around a lot about it. Um, and, you know, when I first read it, I just thought, okay, yeah, this seems cool. And I just kind of liked it and retweeted it. And then I forgot about it until a few hours later when the explosion happened where everyone was having these crazy takes about it. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> so, I mean... So, so it's interesting because you're you're concerned about a bunch of people having really hot takes in response to the Harper letter and overreacting in that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned about what I feel like is an overreaction that leads to the Harper letter. Um, and I guess I feel like it would, you know, my, my goal when I talk about this stuff is always to try to push towards de-escalation around this kind of language and mm-hmm. around these kinds of concerns and like trying to help people see that like, you're not, most of you are not, I mean, even you, I still do not think are at any like remote serious risk unless you were to do something that was like far, far dumber, right? Far more extreme than anything you're doing right now. But like the reality is, you know, people like James Lindsay exist in the world and don't get canceled because they have large followings and like JK Rowling will always have a large following no matter what she says about other individuals. So you know, I, I worry that this this concept just gets spread and spread because of the desire to produce this kind of ca- catastrophizing narrative. And I don't think you were intending to do that, but I think an unintended impact of your article is to kind of contribute to that catastrophizing narrative by by like 
talking mm -hmm. about how you are at such high risk when I don't think we have good evidence that you actually are at particularly high risk of being canceled. Well, that's something that I would, I'm so far, I'm happy to be wrong about. Uh, you know, so if I'm wrong about that, great, because, but I was just speaking to how I felt. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I don't think that it was a completely um, unjustified feeling to have. I mean, you know, I think his name's John Ronson. He wrote a book, you know, so you've been publicly shamed. And the, you know, as far as I know, I haven't read the book, but as far as I know, those are regular people examples. Right. And after I mm -hmm. wrote the piece, um, I received a lot of emails through my website and just DMS on Twitter of people telling me what's going on with them and why they are afraid to speak. And, and, you know, they're like, you know, I, I have, I have a family. I have, you know, I support them. I'm, I'm the main breadwinner and I'm at this job and there are these policies being, you know, imposed and stuff like that. And I disagree with them, but I'm afraid to say so because, you know, I'm definitely in the minority here and that sort of stuff, you know, people, a lot of people who are not anybody that anybody would know, um, reaching out to me saying, you know, I, I thank you for writing this. I wish that I could write it, but I can't because I'm, I am too afraid. So, you know, whether their fear is justified or not, something is going on that's causing that fear. And I don't think that it's someone like JK Rowling exaggerating about her own position. I mean, that's part of the reason that I wrote the piece is one of the things that they tried to make clear is that this isn't about J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling is fine, right? She's, you know, she's relatively insulated from this sort of thing. She can't be erased. But someone like me, I don't have J.K. Rowling fuck you money, right? I don't have, um, I don't have the the, you know, the decades of clout that someone like, um, Noam Chomsky has, right? So even though he signed the letter, he's fine. Right. But you all, right. You also don't have a giant target on your head then either. Right. Like this is my point is no, that like non-famous people are at a like it, it does happen to some non-famous people, but you're at a much, much lower risk of like anybody caring what you have to say at all. It right? depends. It depends on when where I say it. I mean, because if, if I, you know, I'm a writer and I'm I'm trying to contribute to the discourse, that's something that I have in mind. Right. That I would like to you know, share my ideas and I would like to have conversations with people. Um, and if I do that, I am kind of stepping out and I am kind of making myself available to anybody who would be willing to do this. And again, I'm glad that I've been wrong. I'm glad that it hasn't happened. I'm glad, you know, please don't. Uh, but there are also people who they have no intention of, of, contributing to the discourse they just want to live their lives but there are things getting in the way of them living their lives you know at their workplace at their school or whatever and they disagree with it and they feel very much that if they speak up they might suffer consequences now again maybe they're wrong but the fact that they feel that is not nothing and i don't i don't think that they're totally wrong and they're just, you know, this is all boogeymen and they're just making it up. I think that there is something there. Now we can talk about, you know, the level, the degree, 
And part of the issue here is that we won't hear about these people necessarily that, you know, someone just is forced to resign or leaves their job because they can't take it anymore because they're surrounded by these people. I know people, I know people who, who, um, operate under aliases because they literally are in danger. If someone were to find out what they were talking about or what they were doing, they would be excised. They would be removed because nobody wants them around because they would be smeared with these labels. And I mean, I know too many people and I know of too many people for whom this is the case for me to, Mm -hmm. to dismiss it entirely. Now I recognize where you're coming from, right? I get what you mean in that, you know, especially because now it's a kind of, It's a whole Would other... anything get you to reassess the narrative, though? I mean, this, like, it sounds like you're saying there's nothing that could convince me to really reassess this narrative because of these personal experiences that I've heard about. Do you feel like there's anything that would get you to, like, acknowledge that this fear has been overstated and overhyped? I mean, yeah, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, if... if uh... It's hard to say how that would work out. I mean, if more people spoke up and, and they're just normal people and productive disagreements were had instead of people feeling like, you know, instead of people getting fired, instead of people being forced to leave, but, but, but that sort of stuff. I mean, what about I, like all of the, what of the product? I mean, it's so like, how do you know there aren't a bunch of those productive conversations happening though? Right. You just said, yeah. we don't know of all these cases of people getting canceled that we don't see, but you also yeah. don't know of all of the cases of people not getting canceled that you don't see. So how do you, how do you adjust for like, how do you not know? How do you know for sure that like these aren't a tiny, tiny proportion of the amount of controversial mm-hmm. interactions that are happening out there in the world where no cancellation whatsoever occurs? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. And all I can speak to is what I've heard and what I know. And, you know, I'm not I'm not. It's not like I, I you know, toss and turn every night freaking out about this. Right. But but I I. I do think there's a there there, and I think it's worth pointing out. Um, I'm not saying it's the end of the world, and I'm not saying that every instance that people bring up is a legitimate, you know, cancel culture example. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there is a point where I can only speak to what I'm seeing and hearing, and that is definitely a thing, and it's definitely a problem. Insofar as it's a mm-hmm. cataclysmic, you know, earth shattering thing, I can't say because I don't have every bit of data that exists and it would be hard for me to say. But I think that making any concrete declarations in any direction would be unfair given that. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I, I think that my main thing was a response to how I personally felt, I felt alienated. I felt, uh, I felt like I had to be really careful what I said around certain people because I could see that there were certain people delighting in taking part in this sort of thing. Um, and so I was speaking from that point of view, whether it's a, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, this, this, this cancer that is, that is really, you know, just, I mean, 
it's so annoying because people people have have hijacked this thing and it's now become a thing of you know people are arguing about degrees and they're arguing about all I, all i care about is let's please be more compassionate with each other let's please try to be more understanding let's please try to you know have more disagreements like let's let's please give each other a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt um insofar as that's not happening i think it should happen more and mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i'm not prescribing i'm not i'm not saying you know this is this is the dilemma of our time or any of that stuff i'm not making these sweeping generalizations but i i in the piece i was very sincerely speaking to how i felt and I don't think that how I felt was unjustified at all. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting to me how much you're leaning on what I would call standpoint epistemology, given <laughs> that like the people who tend to criticize uh, the woke also tend to criticize standpoint epistemology. But I, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I understand. I acknowledge your lived experiences as having meaning well, and value and, and like being relevant to yeah. this particular conversation. Um, so let me, let me ask and you let one me more just question say, and then we'll, yeah. Well, let me, let me just, mm -hmm. let me just say like, I don't, I'm not one of those people who criticizes mm -hmm. standpoint epistemology whole cloth in that way. Mm -hmm. Obviously people's personal mm -hmm. experiences matter and they are relevant context depending on what it is you're talking about. I just think that, I think that mm -hmm. there are, there are cases where standpoint epistemology is abused and overused. Um, and mm -hmm. conclusions are drawn from it that that don't necessarily track with reality. But yeah, I, I agree. Mean, again, this extreme thinking of like, no, it, it's either total bullshit or no, it's absolutely the only way we need to think. I, I don't, I don't go with that. So, <laughs> just to be clear, yeah, I'm not one of those. Fair enough. <laughs> also, okay, so let me ask you one more question, and then I'll get you to the enlightening round. Um, oh right. I guess one of my final concerns here going back to your star manning stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I worry that the portrayal, the way you were just describing the people who are like taking glee in the cancellation, right? I worry that they are portrayed as being these kinds of vicious sadists in a way that mm -hmm. undercuts the kind of star manning that you are trying to achieve, right? Do you, I mean, I would guess that you would say you still think that they, they mean well, and that the pleasure they're taking mm -hmm. is in their minds righteous fury or something like that. And like, how, how do you, how do you sort of use your star manning to get back to being able to work with those people? Do you feel like? Yeah. Great question. I, I think, yeah, absolutely. These people are motivated by a very real desire to help uplift, um, and have compassion towards people they see as downtrodden, people they see as marginalized, people they see as silenced. And I'm totally with them about that. We absolutely do need to take care of those of us who have gotten short shrift. We absolutely need to have compassion for people who are suffering, people who have been marginalized, people who have been historically disenfranchised. A hundred percent. I share part of the reason why their behavior is so unnerving to me is because I share their goals like 99.99%, right? I'm mm -hmm. totally with them in, in everything that they want to do and the reasons they have for doing what they're doing. So yeah, I, I definitely am not one of these people who feels that these are, you know, vicious sadists and that sort of stuff. Not, not at all, not even close. I know, 
I know in my heart that they are doing what they're doing because they think it's right and just and good. I just think that, you know, some of them go too far and they take delight because it's a human nature thing. I mean, yeah, I have vanquished the demon, right? Who's not Mm going to feel good about vanquishing a demon, right? Until you realize maybe they weren't a demon, maybe they were a misguided person and, you know, maybe you went too far. That's just how I think. But yeah, so I have no animosity towards, you know, quote unquote, woke people. I share their desires um, almost Mm -hmm. completely. So it's just a matter of methods and means and degrees. And I have certain thoughts about that, but that's all. Fair enough. I think that's a good place for us to leave it. So mm-hmm. you've been a great sport. Um, now, unfortunately, I have to torture you. Uh, so this is the okay. enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. Um, for folks who are just joining us for the first time, I'm going to give you a list of things. You are going to tell me, are these things real or not real? Those are your only options. You cannot hedge. You cannot avoid cancellation in any way. So you are just going to say real or not right. real. Do you understand? Be ready? Yes. Okay. Ready. So let's find out first. Is anything real? Yes. Okay, let's find out what's real. External world, real or not real? The external world? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Colors, real or not real? <laughs> yes. Okay. Phenomenal consciousness? Yes. Free will? No. Selves or persons? Hmm. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. Remember, lightning round here. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Genders? <laughs> Genders, yes. Okay. Races? No. Species? Yes. Morality? Yes. Rights, like human rights? Yes. Knowledge? Yes. Mm-hmm. God or gods? No. Society? Yes. Money? Yes. Numbers? Yes. Fictional characters? <laughs> uh, no. Holes, like a hole in the ground? I love this one. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Chairs? Yes. Sandwiches? Absolutely. Science? Yes. Natural laws? Yes. Beauty? Yes. Love? Yes. Causality? Oh, yeah. And finally, time? Yeah. Okay, you survived. (laughs) How do you feel? Uh, Yeah, that was funny because it's like I'm trying to be like logically consistent and it's like impossible. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep, that's pretty much the way that rolls for yeah, people. So, so who knows? Yeah, we can have like a 10 minute. <laughs> it's always it's all for fun, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where the points don't matter. Um, right. So thanks, Angel. It's been a lot of fun doing this two parter. I really I hope you feel like we've uh, had a good back and forth here. Um, do you want to let folks know where they can find your stuff one more time? Yeah, definitely. Uh, AngelEduardo.com is probably the best place to find me. I'm on Twitter. You can find a link on my website there. Um, but that's where you'll see all my writing. I, I keep it pretty updated. So all my writing, all my music, other artwork, et cetera, you can check out the whole of Angel's brain at AngelEduardo.com. And on Twitter, right? Oh, yeah, and on Twitter, yeah. At Strangel Ed Weird. It's like, ah, there's one character. It's a play on my name, Angel Eduardo, Strangel Ed Weirdo. But I couldn't I couldn't uh-huh. fit that last O in there, the, the limit of characters. So it's Strangel Ed Weird. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you very much, Aaron. It was great talking to you. I appreciate your pushback and your good faith and uh, starmanning. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks to our listeners and patrons who make this show possible. Thanks to our newest Archon-level patron, Lawrence Shielding. And as always, thanks to our top-tier-level patrons, our Archon-level patrons, Dude, Fix the Vote, Jesse Urbanowitz and Brenda Goodman, Chad T, and once COVID has blown over, Heathen the Vegan needs to get an energy, needs to get a drink with Edgy Veggie and talk some philosophy, Vegan the Heathen too. And all the thanks to our Archduke-level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. Thank you all so very much. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. It really does make a difference. Follow us on Twitter, at ETVPod. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to our episodes and our bonus ETV reading group content. Most of all, here in the now, remember, you are the void, and the void is you. (laughs) 